0: So the first question I asked for the teacher section was, what's your favorite way to teach? Here are some of the responses I got from the teachers.
1: There's a concept in education called backward design, and it's where you have an, an essential question, a big, broad question, a so what kind of question, and you hit that question, and then you start to drill in. So an inquiry-based approach, guided inquiry, in which a student is given a question and begins the process of unfolding it, researching it, trying it out, testing it, you know, exploring it. And through that meaning-making process, they get to do that. There's not a topic out there that wouldn't, doesn't, couldn't function within that framework. And so that's my model of preferred education. Sometimes it's appropriate embed within that the drill and kill learn this regurgitate it later Um, but for the most part that's within a context so sometimes you need some front loading by which to have a conversation about a science topic but that topic should again be meaningful and relevant to you and so through that process that i discussed the backward design model um and it's really where the goal is what's in mind at the forefront and the reason they call it backward design is because typically teachers opened up a textbook taught a kid and then assess them. Well, what if the assessment drove the instruction? What if the end goal of learning drove how you taught to that student and then that because students are different and we learn differently, you had a varied approach.
2: You know, the workshop model is pretty classic. I don't have you heard of the workshop model. Yeah, so you start with like a mini lesson and then you kind of introduce like a project or a lab or something like that and then you can rotate around. You know, I've... I've tried so many different things in the classroom in terms of I'm I'm constantly experimenting with my craft and like what works and what doesn't work. And I like to try new things. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the day and age of the teacher getting up and talking off of a presentation for an extended period of time is just not really as effective as it used to be. You know, when I was in high school, I would show up to my science class and we would take notes and everything was right off the notes and on the test, which is like... You know, not necessarily a, a bad thing to learn how to do that. Like, that's a skill in itself. But then I think, is that really, like, a higher functioning skill? You know? Um So I think anytime you can get the students to do the thinking and anytime you can get the students to do the talking, Mm -hmm. the more involved students are in the lesson, the more learning they're going to do. So really, like, as the teacher, your role should be to, like, facilitate. Like, you get up, you you give them kind of like the basic skill set or basic information they need to get started with tackling a task, and then you're there you know, on the side of the student kind of uh, guiding and assisting, you know, facilitating. Um, You are not like the keeper of knowledge, you know, because anymore, and that was the way it was when I was in school, like my teacher had all the information, you had to get the information from him to be successful. Um, And, you know, that's not really the way it works anymore. You guys have Wikipedia, smartphones. I mean, you guys, in a sense, have access to so much more information in a couple clicks of a phone. So I think really what it's about is just preparing you guys for what the real world's about. Mm-hmm. And that's you thinking and talking. And so the more you can incorporate that into your instruction where the students are the ones taking those. And it's tough. I've had students that really kind of balk at the idea of like, all right, well, here's the thing. I need you to do some research stuff because, you know, students, I think, are kind of comfortable with that traditional role of the teacher up in front of the room and saying you need to know this. So we're kind of at a critical juncture right now with education where I think if education wants to keep up with societal trends of like what actually the real world is like and what people expect from their employees in the workforce, Mm -hmm. we need to be seeing more out of our students taking ownership in their own learning in the classroom. So whatever you're doing as a teacher to facilitate opportunities for students to be, I guess, involved deeply with their own learning and guiding their learning and you're there to assist and facilitate that, that's the best way possible.
3: Oh, definitely not sitting down in a desk. Like for me, I am very... Movement, kinetic, you know, driven. Uh, And so I like to be moving around. So my favorite lessons are when the students are also like up and moving around, right? When they're going group to group, when they're interacting with not just the three people that are at their table, but the 20 people that are in their class. Um, You know, sometimes we even do just brain breaks in the class where we walk to the stop sign and back. That's just because you cannot sit in a desk for an hour and a half and still continue to be productive. The brain has to take that break And I think that through movement, it actually is, it's a better break than just not doing anything, right?
4: One of the great things about being a classroom teacher is that you determine your curriculum. And so, to a certain extent, there are some things that the state or the national standards are going to require you to do. But I, as a classroom teacher, had a lot of control over what I was teaching. And so, therefore, I taught things that I was interested in. Because passion is contagious, Mm -hmm. and if I am interested in something, I guarantee I can at least make even the most reluctant student just at least a tiny bit curious, because that is a contagious emotion.
0: Each uh, teacher's response was um, different on how they like to teach. With the first response, he said that having a big idea first uh, in teaching, and then expanding that idea and try to get all the nitty-gritty things uh, in that idea um, is one of the better ways to learn because students can nitpick little things that they like about it or things that they can memorize and put into a project with a second one um, he said that having a big uh, concept map on different ideas you can do for projects is Uh, a great way to learn because having uh, different things you can pick up uh, and uh, do gives the student more um, imagination on how they can explain what they are thinking of and putting it into a project with the third response he said that he likes to teach getting up and talking to everybody I thought that's one of the more Uh, extroverted kind of uh, leaders there because talking to everybody and making sure they're all right and you know having that connection bond is a great way to teach with uh, the last response she said that um, being making sure that in her curriculum uh, she had something that she was interested in And hopefully that could translate to other students to make sure that they are interested in it. Also, this uh, would just help build a stronger bond between teacher and a student. Not only that, maybe make the class uh, fun for everybody in the classroom. Overall, each um, each response was very in depth on how they like to teach and why it's important uh, to how they teach and what they're teaching. Uh, Another question I asked teachers was, how many students do you have in each class? Um, This could definitely affect how uh, the class could learn. So that's one of the main reasons I asked this question. Here are some of the responses I got.
1: You know, I've had such varied teaching experiences from public schools to private schools to international schools. It really, I mean, I've had classes of four or five kids and I've had classes as many as 70 students, you know, in a graduate level or undergraduate level seminar, you know, I mean, it's so it just varies. And in that regard, I've also had block, I've had, you know, 45 minute periods, I've had seven period day, I've had that all. Um, and it's really just you modulating how you approach things
2: so we cap project lead the way at twenty. It's a like national requirement. They or yeah, they basically say you ha- can only have twenty students in your PBS class. So you know every year we start with twenty kids. It might lose a couple kids after first semester. So those classes are a little smaller. But that's because it's typically associated with the rigor of the projects, um, and they want to really facilitate collaboration and that they feel like that's the ideal size. And then my earth science classes, you know, twenty to twenty four. Yeah. Is kind of the goal. Science we like to keep it twenty four or less because you start running into safety issues, especially if you have chemicals and stuff out and you got like thirty kids in a room. Um when I taught in Laurel I had seven sections of close to thirty in a day. I had one class that was like an advanced science class that was close to 20, but I had 28 to 30 kids in every class, mm-hmm. which was, yeah. and they were seventh graders too. So <laughs> uh, that was tough. I would see about 200 kids. Some of the kids I'd see multiple times, but I had two, 200 students a day yeah. in my class. Here at Whitefish, I have 60 to a hundred, maybe you know, eight a day, B day kind of thing. So I, I, just think I really believe the schedule is more conducive to student learning here. Yeah, definitely the block schedule.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, oh man, I would say probably an on average 20, 18 to twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's some classes like my smallest CCR class I think has sixteen kids, and my biggest has twenty four. Mm-hmm. So I guess they kind of some average somewhere around eighteen to twenty.
4: So the library is a little different. Um, I am assigned digital learning students who all have different coursework and different instructors that are online. I have anywhere from I think 8 is the lowest number in a class to 22. So on average, I think I see around 35 students a day and I have about 60 65 students overall. When I was teaching history and English in a larger school district, um, we had a high school of about 2,000, I would see 165 students every day. So I think there's a lot of variation in the number of students and, and, yeah, in the library. Bye. In the library, we have a smaller number, but it is more difficult because I'm not actually their direct instructor.
0: Overall, the responses I got were, um, it really depends on like, what's needed in the class. For the first response, he said that he had traveled everywhere, so he had between 4 to 30 kids in a class, with the second response he said he used to teach in Laurel so with that he had um, anywhere between I want to say 25 to 30 but during a PBS class that's provided um, which is a project uh, lead the ways curriculum of principles of biomedical science Um, He said they had to uh, cap the class at 24 because um, the curriculum is a more national-wide standard. Then with uh, the third response, he said that he usually has anywhere uh, higher than 15 students in each class for CCR and uh, probably... Um, more than 16 uh, for every other class. And for the last response, she said she has at least 15 students uh, per class for digital learning. Uh, That is basically an extracurricular class for any uh, subjects that are not taught at the school uh, that can be offered. Well, one of the last questions I asked teachers was, "How do prep periods help you prepare for the next class?" And also, "What do you do during your prep period?" Here are the responses they gave me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would see as I experience and as I observe currently, prep periods are critical for teachers, um, critical for assessment, critical for planning, critical for their own professional development. Um, you know, If we're asking teachers to vary their instruction to a wide array of student need and capacity, we need to give them the time to be able to do that. And so that is really, really important. I think there's a balance between structured and unstructured time. Like, hey, as a school, we're moving this goal. Let's develop towards this. And hey, you're an autonomous professional. You need to be able to make decisions for yourself in terms of how best to utilize that. And So I think there's a balance within that. Yeah, really important.
2: Yeah, oh yeah. I I need my, and teachers get really salty if they lose their prep period because it's, you know, this is just my seventh year of teaching and I imagine if you came back and did this interview 23 years from now, I would have completely different answers and I'm going to learn a lot in the next 20-some years. But um, I, I'm a young father. And so when I um, had my daughter... Uh, three years ago, she just turned three, um, I had to re-pri- kind of prioritize how I did things. My first year of teaching, I would get done with school, I'd go home, I'd grade papers, lesson plan for the next day, I'd be up to almost like 9.30 every night, just like grinding away, trying to be prepared. And when I started a family, um, I couldn't do that anymore. Yeah. I needed to be home and be present with my kid. Um, and that's been a big... Transition so now that I'm kind of understanding that balance, my prep is so critical. Mm-hmm. Like, I've got to get grading done, I've got to talk to students, um, you know, catch up on teacher meetings. So, I, I really do value that prep time. Yeah.
3: Oh man, I get so much done during the prep periods. and I'm I'm I like the block scheduling as far as preps go. Um, because it allows me to stay focused for a longer period of time as opposed to just 45 minutes. Like your guys' is flex, right? 45 minutes is tough to really get into a project or get really into something focus-wise. And so I love the hour and a half because I can just, man, batten down the hatch and go uh, and stay productive. I use it for planning. I use it for grading. I use it for I mean, you name it.
4: So, again, when I was a classroom teacher, they were invaluable, especially um, as an English teacher. Um, A lot of times I would spend prep periods. Actually, that's not true. I wouldn't grade during prep periods because there's not enough time in a prep period to grade. Um, But a prep period helps you um, gather and obtain resources for the curriculum that you're going to be teaching. Um, And also just to really, for myself anyways... Get back to what is the goal, what do you want students to be able to do in the particular lessons that you're teaching for that day. Um, For a librarian, um, they are also invaluable, but in a different way. And I find that here, the way that this um, school structures digital learning classes in the library, um, so basically. Basically, I am performing two full-time jobs, and I feel like I'm not doing either one the credit that I should be, that I'm not performing it to the level that I should. So most of my prep periods will be spent putting out fires in either that digital learning coordinator position and trying to make sure that all the students that I am assigned are passing those classes and that I have records of that following up with parents or following up with the school's or it's in the library world where um, we are restructuring this entire library physical structure as well as the um, nonfiction and fiction sections and then not to mention trying to get on online presence. So um, I cannot finish all the things I need to do in a day in my one prep period that I have each day.
0: Overall, I thought that each teacher loved their prep period because they can get something done or they could um, work on something that uh, has been needed in a uh, different class. Uh, With the second response, he said that he uses his prep period to help him with his family because... It's really hard to balance a school with all the paperwork and um, a family. So I thought that prep periods were very, very important to all teachers, and they need it uh, no matter what. As Alan's Wellington Rolls once said, the test of a good teacher is not how many questions he can ask his pupils that they will answer readily, but how many questions he inspires them to ask which you can find it hard to answer.